Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Katherine Henderson, director of school and community initiatives at the Rudd Center at Yale. Uh, Dr. Henderson has a long history of work on nutrition in children and youth and is especially interested in child care settings, in school settings, and in community issues and families. So welcome, Kathy. Glad to have you here. Nice to be here. So we're going to talk today about nutrition and child care centers. And this is a, a very important issue because of the number of people affected. So could we start by you putting this in perspective? How many kids are in child care? Absolutely. So almost 60% of preschool-aged children are in some type of center-based care. That's just center-based care. We also have family home daycares and individual care arrangements. So the overwhelming majority of preschool-aged children are in some kind of non-parental care. And when you talk about center-based care, do you mean that it's a uh, uh, operation owned by a company, or could it be in a church, or what? What might it could be about? any of those options. Center-based care centers are really defined by the number of children um, and the and, and the structure of the care. So it can be a it, it's a wide range of of kinds of facilities. And what are the ages generally of kids in child care? Well, children are in care from um, six weeks old and and on. Um, We have focused a lot of our research on the two to five-year-old set, so what we would consider to be preschool-aged children, but many, many, many infants and toddlers in the United States are in care. So there are a lot of kids affected by this, and (laughs) the kids are uh, getting early food experiences in this setting. How important would you say it is that kids be fed healthy in these settings? Oh, it's critical. Um, A child in full-day care can receive up to two-thirds of his or her dietary intake during that care-based day. So that is most of what that child is eating. It's absolutely critical that that be healthy. We also know that food preferences and diet habits are developed very young, um, so it's very important that we're hitting these kids even before they enter school-aged facilities. Um, And finally, we also know that one in four uh, preschool-aged children um, is overweight or obese, and those rates are even higher for our poor uh, families and our uh, ethnic and racial minority families. Let's talk about the food preferences issue because somebody could say pretty readily that that's established at the home and it's what parents are doing with their kids. So how important do you think child care settings are for that particular part of Well, um, because they're feeding these children the majority of their intake, I think it's critically important. It's very important what parents do, but what parents do can be either supported or it can be undone in the child and um, child care and food setting. It's really critical that when parents are trying to set these good habits, the child care centers support what they're doing rather than undo it. I will also say that this is a time, you know, one, one really important function of child care centers, and I think center directors would agree, is to provide information to parents. This is a time when they are really hungry for information on feeding and other health issues, and child care centers can really serve the function of providing a lot of this information and modeling it and teaching the children. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity to have a positive impact on children in, in, in a way that could last a lifetime because Absolutely. of these habits being determined. So it's very important to figure out what's going on in those settings. Right. Now, you've done some pioneering work uh, on what's happening with nutrition and child care. Mm-hmm. How does one go about doing this? I'd like to find out what you found in these settings, but sure. first, how do you go about studying this? 
Yeah, we study we study childcare. I should say we've studied mostly childcare centers. So what I'm going to talk about um, doesn't reflect research in family home daycares or some of those other kinds of care situations. So I'm talking about centers. And we go in and we try to assess things at all levels. So we're very interested in written policies that govern what children are eating and the kind of activities they're doing throughout the day. And so we have gone in and collected up policies and coded them and um, figured out what they're saying and developed some rating scales for that. We also are interested in going in and verifying what's actually happening in the setting. So we go in, we watch children eat. Um, Sometimes we do studies where we're actually weighing amounts of the different kinds of foods that they're eating. Uh, we're very interested in the kind of interactions that go around, go on around feeding children. So we will go in and document what kinds of um, conversations do childcare providers initiate with the children at the lunch table? Or do they model good feeding behaviors? What kinds of practices are they engaged in? How do they do things like handle second servings um, and handle picky eaters? And how do they handle kids who refuse to try anything? Uh, so we're very interested in really all levels of what happens in the child care center. This must be incredibly painstaking work because you can just imagine <laughs> weighing how much a child eats when they're dropping it on on themselves and on the floor and eating off each other's plates and things yeah, like that. It's very it's it's quite laborious. Although I I think that we and colleagues at some other institutions have now developed some pretty standard protocols that really help move things along. But you're right, we do. We mop up spills with paper towels and weigh those paper towels, and we're picking grains of rice out of the rug. So it is pretty pretty laborious. Well, it must be adorable to see these kids. It is. I think that that's, you know, when we're recruiting data collectors for these kinds of projects, we know that the work is painstaking, as you've said, but the kids are pretty cute, and um, people are pretty happy to be there. So what are the, what kind of results are you finding from this work? You know, what we're finding is that, you know, child care differs a lot from school settings. So I'll say that to begin with. And in many ways, it's better. Uh, I think this is primarily because there aren't competitive foods in child care. So children don't come in ready to buy things from the center. They don't go through a lunch line where they're going to buy a bag of chips. They're just fed what they're fed. So Could that you just define what you mean by competitive foods. So competitive foods, as thought about in the school setting, are, are foods that are sold to children outside of the school lunch program. And so basically in childcare, um, in a setting where they feed the children, and, and some centers feed children, some centers have parents send food from home. So that's a big distinction. But where they feed children, they don't offer sort of extra stuff that they can buy. So that helps a lot. It's just having, you know, the lunch is the lunch, and all components need to meet some pretty basic requirements. Requirements. So in that way, it's superior to what we see in many school settings. Um, and there are regulations for what one can serve in childcare. You have to meet um, certain criteria. That having been said, there's quite a lot of wiggle room for how to do that. So while you must serve a meat or meat alternate and must serve a grain and must serve fruits and vegetables, um, currently you can serve pretty high fat, high sodium meats. You can serve a lot of cheese. You don't have to serve whole grains. Um, You can serve vegetables or fruits in kind of ideal ways, or you can doctor them up with things that make them less healthy. So there's a fair bit of wiggle room. And what we have seen is that there's quite a lot of variability, as you might imagine, um, in how the food, the feeding is implemented. Um, But we see on average that children get a lot of saturated fat in childcare. Um, This is largely due to huge amounts of cheese being served. Kids like cheese. We like to serve them cheese. So we see a lot of saturated fat. They get a lot of sodium in childcare, and this has to do, again, with um, cheese, processed meats, other processed foods. They don't get as much whole grain as we'd like them to get. 
And this is a funny one because we found that centers often think they're serving whole grains. And this has everything to do with very deceptive packaging <laughs> of foods that they buy for the children, like bread that looks like it's whole grain, but it's not really, or it's only a little bit whole grain, so they don't get a lot, um, therefore don't get a ton of fiber. Um, and while centers certainly serve fruits and vegetables, children are not getting them into their bellies as, um, as much as we'd like to see. So what do you think determines this variability between centers? Um, so some of the barriers, I think, to implementing what we would say is an ideal meal plan, a huge one is cost. You know, child care centers, by and large, run on a shoestring budget. There is very little margin for error. So unfortunately, you know, one way that they can save money is to buy, at times, lower quality food. And we all know that um, you know, higher quality foods and healthier foods are more expensive than some of the cheaper ones. Facilities are a big issue, too. So some child care facilities have a full kitchen um, that is very well stocked, and, um, and they have a chef on site, and so they can really determine what the children are served. And others have facilities that are very close quarters. They don't have a lot of storage. So, you know, they have to, have to bring in what they're going to use over the next couple of days and don't have a lot of wiggle room, or they don't have a lot of refrigeration. That's a huge issue. So people wonder why they serve these shelf-stable items. They serve them, which are less healthy typically, like packaged crackers. They serve them because they're not going to go bad if you don't have a refrigerator. So those are some of the, the big barriers. And then for centers that I think don't have <clears throat> kitchens and aren't able to prepare foods themselves, they are, rely on food management companies to bring in food for, um, for the children. And, and they have somewhat less control over what gets served. They have to negotiate that with an out of, you know, a third party. And that's, that's trickier. How important is a commitment to nutrition by the center director? You know, I, I think, you know, my, my anecdotal experience here is that it's absolutely critical. So, you know, where we see good nutrition happening, it's because someone has decided this is important. And despite cost and barriers, they're willing to put in the time and energy and figure out how to do it. So I think it's, it's doable for most centers, but it does require a real committed effort, a real champion on site. That might be the center director and probably most frequently is, but it can also be a nurse consultant or a head teacher who really takes the initiative. We've also seen centers get turned around by real parent advocacy um, so that so parents certainly can make a difference in coming to their center directors and saying, I'd really like to see this. Here are some concrete ways to do it. I'd like to help. You know, we have seen centers turn around in that way. Certainly there would be long-term benefits to the children of eating a healthier diet in terms of chronic disease risk mm -hmm. later in life. But are there any immediate benefits that you might posit in terms of behavior of the children, how alert they are, how they might interact with one another? What, what do you think the, that picture looks like? That's a terrific question, and I will say that the jury is out on the research front. You know, we, there are a lot of people working really hard to figure out exactly how different kinds of foods affect behavior. I'll certainly, I can certainly tell you that teachers, both at school and in childcare, report anecdotally that when children are fed high-sugar diets, behavior deteriorates, concentration deteriorates. So I think at, at this point we're waiting for the really solid research to come in and, and support that. But we have there there's um, I would say that the people in the know on the front lines will report this, you know, with a lot of conviction. Well, it's interesting the the anecdotal reports, and you've got to figure there's some truth to that if it's so widely reported by people. Yeah, and I think we also will expect that you know this is a hard this is hard research to do. 
as you can imagine. I mean, it's hard just demonstrating what they're eating, never mind tying that to specific behaviors. And I think there's going to be a lot of variability in children, too. So that's another reason why it's hard to do. Some kids are going to be very much more sensitive to what they eat. Other kids may be able to slide by, at least in the immediate. It'd be interesting to document what condition the children are in when the parents pick them up at the end of the mm-hmm. day and whether that's affected by nutrition. Absolutely. And I, I don't know of anyone actually studying that question right now. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to pursue that. Mm-hmm. So you alluded to earlier in our discussion about rules <clears throat> that govern what might be, uh, f- what, what sort of rules are there and, and are they local, state, federal rules? What are, how does that Sure, that, that's a terrific question. So the primary governance of what is fed in child care is, is licensing regulations. Um, that having been said, there is a federal meal program that really dictates how licensing gets played out, and I'll explain what, that, what I mean by that. The Child and Adult Care food, co- food Program is essentially the equivalent of National School Lunch Program for child care. Um, so kids can be fed uh, you know, a particular meal that meets certain criteria, and it looks a lot like school lunch. Um, These regulations are developed at the national level. Um, They have not been overhauled in many, many years. They are currently being overhauled by the USDA. So we expect in the next couple of years to see some new regulations, but we're currently operating under some regulations that have been in place for a long, long time. Um, Now, not all centers participate in child and adult care food program. The program feeds about 3 million U.S. children daily. But as you might imagine, that's nowhere near all the children in the United States. You know, that having been said, um, when states do licensing, they often will say, well, there, here's the child and adult care food program, and we're telling everybody else who's licensed that they have to meet those criteria. And this isn't the case for every state, but it's the case for many. So while it feeds 3 million children, it affects many more because licensing just says, this is what we're going to do. Um, so that's that's really important. I will say that's the biggest um, biggest impact on what children are fed in childcare. Now, some states have decided to adopt, um, or even localities have decided to adopt stricter standards. So they might say we're going to, you know, limit sugar, limit fat, limit saturated fat. They adopt regulations that go above and beyond. And some examples of these are New York um, has adopted stricter standards. Um, there are some uh, parts, Delaware has some voluntary standards in place. In Connecticut, we have some voluntary standards that are stricter than CACFP. Um, so states can do that. And then um, some local centers just decide that they're going to adopt much stricter standards. And they have every right to do this. So we encourage localities to say we're going to take a, a really hard line on nutrition and we are going to regulate what we feed our children. Um, They also can have rules about what parents can send from home for their children, and many, many centers do this. So you mentioned that the regulations that are coming from the U.S. Department of Agriculture are are many years old. Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of changes would you like to see as the new ones are devised? That is a great question. So what I would like to see, um, I would like to see, by and large, standards that uh, that have been recommended by the Institute of Medicine. The Institute of Medicine struck a committee to examine Child and Adult Care Food Program and set and wrote a very long book on um, very detailed standards. And I I think adopting those would solve many, many problems. Some highlights from that um, include 
minimizing the number of sweet grains that can be served um, to once or twice a week, this would be a big deal because these children get a sweet grain many times at every breakfast. And so one or sugar sweetened cereals, sugar sweetened cereals, uh, muffins, uh, French toast sticks, waffle sticks, anything you, you know those kinds of breakfast so foods. So those that all we, count as grains. Those all count as sweetened grains. In addition, um, all those sweet crackers that get served at snack, animal crackers, graham crackers, little cookies, those kinds of things, those would be under that rule too. So we would see major improvement, I think, primarily at breakfast and snack, which would be great. Um, another highlight is really increasing the numbers and amounts of fruits and vegetables that are offered at all times of day. So some of the re- uh, new proposed regulations have to do with um, having a vegetable or fruit for snack at least once a day. And we really uh, encourage vegetables at snack. I think snack is such a lost opportunity in childcare. So often we see juice and crackers. And those are really kind of throwaway foods in a way. They don't really bolster nutrition. This is an opportunity to have a vegetable, which we know children undereat, or fruits, which children also undereat, or healthy proteins. So those are a couple of highlights. Are there some best practices that you could point out about um, making vegetables interesting for the kids, for example? Oh, wow. So a lot of research has gone into this. And this is a this is a really tricky area where we often have a really hard time selling vegetables. And Um, I will say from my own research experience that we'll manage to do it in one center and then the same thing won't work in another center. So to be honest, I think this is an area where um, of necessity there's going to be some trial and error in the specific population that a given center is working with. That having been said, some of the things that have worked for some research studies are serving vegetables first. So before any of the other food comes on the plate, kids come to the table, they're hungry. This is the time to give them things that they might be less inclined to eat. If they're hungry and there's nothing else there, um, they're more likely to eat it. Um, Vegetables at snack, we managed to find in one of our studies that children were eating much more vegetable at snack than at lunch. And we scratched our heads at first in trying to think about why this was the case. And then it was obvious to us, well, it's the only thing at snack. At lunch, it's competing with the sloppy joe or the mac and cheese or whatever else they have that they like better but if snack is that if that's the only if they've got vegetable and milk it's the only thing there is to eat they're more likely to eat it um some people have played around with different way kind of um, healthy dips Um, children love dipping their food and so as long as we're keeping those dips healthy and children are not just using their vegetable as a spoon for ranch dressing and we've seen that happen then that can be a way to um really improve vegetable intake, and just serving cooked vegetables in an ideal manner. So, um, so many times we serve them overcooked and gray, and, you know, I wouldn't eat them like that either. So really attending to how they're presented and the quality of the vegetable is important. What do you think for kids this age reasonable policy would be for beverages, milk versus chocolate milk, juice, where does that fit? Oh, wow. So I would love to see juice eliminated from childcare. You know, juice is not necessary to the diet at all. Um, It's always better to serve a whole fruit. You're getting more vitamins, you're getting the whole fruit fiber. So it's always better to serve a whole fruit. Sugar sweetened beverages have no place in childcare at all. So anything with sugar added, the sugar drinks, um, and, and what we see in this age group is that they're not so much drinking soda or carbonated beverages. They're drinking those drinks that are kind of like juice, but mostly sugar. And I think this is a, an area where parents are very deceived. They often think they're feeding their children 100% juice, and they're not. So those, those beverages have no place at all in child care. Um, 
And so what I'd like to see is just milk and water as the only beverages. You mentioned chocolate milk. You know, in our studies, we actually haven't seen a lot of flavored milk um, in the centers that we've sampled. You know, other studies have found a little bit more. Um, but really, there is no, we, we have seen plain milk and we see that children drink it. So there's no reason to have flavored milk in the child care setting. You know, this, uh, this for a final question, this is a new frontier in a way that there hasn't been a lot of research and it's mm-hmm. relatively recent. Are you optimistic about where you see things going? I think childcare is a fantastic place to be, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, there, what is what is served and what is brought into the setting already has pretty heavy regulations. So we'd like to improve on those regulations, but there's a place to, there's a real place. There's already a mechanism in place, so and so, so that's really easy. Um, I would also say that um, childcare directors and childcare providers, I think, are really unique in understanding that their responsibility really is for taking care of the whole child. So in schools, we sometimes run into, you know, it's not our job to work on their nutrition. We're here to educate. And we never run into that in childcare. They really see whole child as their responsibility. So they're an easy, it's an easy sell in childcare. Um, now, I think the area that's trickiest in childcare is uh, the the areas that are not center based, these center, you know, not center based and not licensed. <clears throat> so there are an awful lot of kids in unlicensed care, and there are an awful lot of at risk kids because unlicensed tends to be cheaper. And so I think that's going to be a bigger challenge is figuring out how to reach those settings. But overall, I'm pretty optimistic. Good. Well, that's a very nice way to end our conversation. I wanted to thank you for. <laughs> giving us this information in what I think is a very exciting and growing area of interest in the nutrition field. And if things continue to go in a positive direction, so many kids could be affected in a positive way. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. So our guest was Dr. Katherine Henderson, Director of School and Community Initiatives at the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Please visit our website, www.yaleruddcenter.org. You'll find a variety of resources there, including email newsletter that gets dispatched regularly on breaking issues in food policy, all sorts of information about various policy issues, including child care and school nutrition, and of course, a list of podcasts with other excellent visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.